Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Black Cast on my phone, ready to play right now. Listening to Black Cast. I don't want to watch what's on the TV. iTunes app put on the BC. Podcasts on, no talking to me. Listening to Black Keep up on comics and movies New phone ring, I answer hoodies I can't talk, call back if you please Listening to Blackcast You don't know what you are missing Damn fine show hosted by Christian He's just dope, no ass I'm kissing Listening to Blackcast Click subscribe on this podcast You won't be the first, but don't you be last Listen while you pumping your gas Listening to Blackcast on this episode, it's Jean Grey talking about the things that she say. So distracted, didn't feed Bay. Listening to Blackcast. Met this girl, she smiled in my face. Blackcast insulated my place. Had one beer, she brought a whole case. Listening to Blackcast. Cops knock on the door and listen. Blackcast on, they think I'm Christian. Cops ran off, now I ain't tripping. Listening to Blackcast. Point is, listen to this show. Don't need me to tell you it's dope. Rock so hard like Johnny Lithgow. Listen in the Black Cast. Oh yeah, that's the Black Cast. It's on the Ghost Twin TV or whatever. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's on AfterBuzz TV. That's right. That's that guy, Christian. You rock. Alright, several Texas had to go take care of some business, but I'm here to say, have a nice day, and listen to the damn show. I'm tired and kind of funny if I hang out with myself, putting all my feelings high up on a shelf. I'll have to dust them off, although the dust it makes me cough. But at least I won't be hurt while I clean up. Feeling alongside these wooden walls, no one there to take my calls. Bogged down by clawing little hands. The monsters in this closet, maybe they'll understand. I never got any older, only Know the noises that keep me up at night Though I don't turn off the guy Any older, only got a little bit colder Know the noises that keep me up at night Though I don't turn off the lights Though I don't turn off the lights This is the Blattcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. Hosted by Christian Blatt, so kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Joining me now is musician Izzy Spring, who has a great new song called Monsters in the Closet. Uh, her website is izzyspringmusic.com. She's on Instagram at fizzyspringmusic. Uh, Izzy, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you for having me on the show. 
Uh, I would say thanks for staying up late with me, but uh, like me, you're also in uh, LA, so it's not really that late for us. But there are people watching that uh, maybe uh, can't fall asleep and they're like, oh, look, something's happening. So uh, we welcome everybody uh, in the live chat. Uh, reading the notes about you, uh, you're an LA native. And uh, did you grow up in Los Angeles proper or somewhere a little bit outside? I'm not, I'm not asking for an exact cross street or anything, you know, but just generally. I did grow up in LA. I was a, a true and tried Valley girl. Although most people would shy away from saying that, but I don't say like that much. And <laughs> well, I, I live in Burbank and before that I lived in uh, Hollywood. So I see them as, as very different uh, places, but uh, they both have a lot to offer, but boy, is it a lot easier to park in the Valley. And when you live oh, in definitely. LA, that's, that's kind of all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because uh, I've lived out here for 18 years now and you meet people that are from LA, but usually it's like people are, you know, from somewhere outside, you know, like my wife grew up in orange County, but her parents grew up in Chinatown. And that's like, all right, that's like, that's LA, you know, that's, it's like, like you're in the shadow of Dodger stadium. I think that that counts. And uh, it's such an eclectic place because it, it covers such a huge landmass. Like I'm from New York originally and you can kind of, you can kind of get a feel for it, but like just LA, it's so huge, you know? And what do you think musically, we'll talk a little about your family in a minute, but musically, what do you think it did for your appreciation on music living somewhere like Los Angeles where, you know, I mean, you were probably just amongst friends exposed to so many different kinds of things. I mean, it did two things. Cause one, you're exposed to like amazing musicians left and right living in LA, but it's also a very, um, how do I put it? Oversaturated place. There's a lot of music happening. Um, therefore it's kind of like hard to, I don't know, convince friends to come to your shows when you're growing up because they all have a ton of other friends who are having shows and you can only go out so many nights in a row. Right. Um, so like it, it, it definitely made me more competitive and work a lot harder to, to, get better and better at what I do. Um, but it definitely also means like you could throw a rock and you'll probably hit a musician and it's so much fun to collaborate with people here. Like I'm so fortunate to, to be in that kind of environment. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's very similar, uh, obviously, uh, different, uh, art in particular, but I moved out here to work, uh, in, in comedy, working with comedians and all that. And it, it's the same thing. Hey, do you want to come to my show tonight? Oh, where is it? Well, it's at uh, it's at UCB. Well, which UCB? Because you know the one on Franklin, it's a lot harder to park at. Oh, the one on Sunset? Yeah, okay. Oh, it's at Improv Olympic. Oh no, 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 no! I can't park over there. And then if you have an event of any kind, and you and you see a few raindrops, you're like, well, great. Now nobody's coming. You know. So it's uh, I think having any kind of event is when you learn, you know, who your real friends are and the people who are, you know, at the ones who actually support you, you know? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mentioned it in passing and I thought it was really interesting when I was reading uh, about you that you come from a musical family and I want to talk about each of your parents separately uh, because both of their backstories are really interesting. So your mom was a, was a classical DJ, but also an alt rock DJ. So that probably just bringing her work home, that must have been sort of a, a lot of different kinds of music in the house. So talk a little bit about that. And, and, you know, just to me, I imagine, you know, being a, a classical DJ, 
you kind of talk like this, like NPR. But then when you're like an alt rock DJ, you're trying to talk like somebody's like, you know, cool mom or whatever, like, Hey, you know, so I feel like you have the same job. And, uh, I'm just sort of wondering about, you know, sort of having, you know, your mom basically being in those two worlds. I mean, well, that's a, that's a really fun question just because, uh, Growing up, it's not just that she took her work home. It's that like my sibling and I used to come with her to work. Um, there's actually like a newspaper article about my sibling, like right after they were born. Um, like, I, I don't know how to, it, it, I think the title of the newspaper article was like Goo Goo Gaga. And it was just how. <laughs> it um, but my, my mom had a really interesting career because like she popped from being like a huge rock radio DJ in the San Francisco Bay area um, definitely did a little bit of a switch to become a classical DJ. And that was partially because she was like a mom. She didn't really want to DJ anymore, but then somebody recognized her and it turned into this whole thing. And she was like, okay. Um, but that meant we got all sorts of tickets growing up to different concerts. So like we got to go see like the LA Phil all the time at the Hollywood Bowl. Sure. And, um, we like, I remember the reason I picked up harp, which actually I can show you my Harp. Whoa. Now look Michael. at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reason I, I picked it was because we had, um, we went to, it was just after I quit piano and my mom basically was like, if you live in my household, you will learn an instrument or you're not my child. Um, and my sibling was already like, I'm calling guitar. That's mine yeah. now. You Dibs. Can't do it. <laughs> yeah. If you do guitar, you're copying me. And I was like, oh, dang. okay, what, what am I going to do? Um, now I, I do play a little guitar because we're less territorial about our instruments. Um, but uh, like my my mom's literally like, well, you could use this opportunity watching this this whole concert to pick an instrument. And of course, when the curtains open, we're sitting right in front of the harp. And I was like, that one. And my mom was like, oh god, <laughs> like immediately like dug her own grave. I'm nine years old. I'm like dead set on it. And every like. Every other sentence at home, I'm like, Mom, am I gonna get a harp? Am I gonna get a harp? And it's like the most expensive instrument around. So, um, but uh, yeah, my mom, it, it's kind of like perfect for her that she had that like extensive career because she went to Juilliard for pre college. So she's oh, wow. okay. yeah. trained in like piano and violin, but um, she's also like a crazy, amazing singer. Like her, I don't know how to, her voice sounds like the Wilson sisters. Of I heart. Mean, that's right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's, that's, that's impressive. You know, I mean, it's funny to think about, you know, you just went through your mom's background and also the fact that, you know, she ended up in, in, in classical music and it, it's almost like, Oh wow. She was, she was kind of slumming it to do uh, alt rock because it's like, yeah. And now here's the bloodhound gang or, you know, here's limp biscuit. And you're like, oh, that's not like that must hurt her ears. But she must be very proud uh, of of her daughter's voice to hear you and hear you sing. And uh, I, you know, it's funny when you were showing the harp. It reminded me that uh, we had uh, it was a, a friend of a friend. We actually had someone play the harp at our wedding my, when my wife and I got married. And the only piece of music I wanted. Uh, for when I came out was the the Superman theme that John Williams did for the old Superman movies from the 70s. And you would think 
I mean, it sounds as great on a harp as you would imagine it does. You know what I mean? It's it's basically because my when my brother got married, he had Darth Vader's march, and I'm like, you want to talk about calling dibs on something? That's what I always wanted. So I'm like, I'm gonna have to settle for Superman, and uh, you know, it was still pretty cool though. <laughs> it is so funny you say that because one of the only weddings I've played um, when I, I think I was like 16, and I played uh, a wedding of a friend of a friend, um, sure. and I played the Imperial March on the harp for when all of the the men came out. Um, and I played La Vie en Rose for, um, for the bride. Well, it's good, that you didn't, it. it's, it's good that you didn't mix them up and play the Imperial March for the bride because uh, that might've might have set a bad tone, yeah. I mean, if you just think about like, I don't know that there, you know, I'm sure there's examples, but uh, it, that's like a top five, like perfect movie score that goes with the character it's written for. You know, it's just like, Oh yeah, this guy's. Uh, I think he's not friendly because look at him and listen <laughs> to his music. Uh, so, I guess uh, taking up the harp though that meant uh, you weren't going to try and be in the marching band. You know that was uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely not where you were going to take your your the musical harp. pursuits. I was an indoor drumline with the harp. I was in the pit. <laughs> so you I know what? You know that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> It was, it was more like the guy who ran indoor drumline found out that I played the harp and was like, if I took care of everything for you, you just had to come on the fun field trips and play a really simple harp thing. Would you do it? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. For the social aspect, um, which was and, a really. Yeah. And so, you know, you talked about how, you know, you, you stopped playing piano. And uh, was that just because your mom wanted you to play piano you, and you were like, well, I'm not going to do it anymore. Or was it, I really want to do something different. It was more like I was, I was a little bit of a brat growing up. I think both my sibling and I were brats growing up as much as we hate to admit it. Um, but uh, it kind of culminated. Well, for starters, my mom taught me piano from the ages okay. of like when I could barely speak to, um, Think about seven-ish, um, which is a recipe for disaster. Like if for anybody watching who's thinking about it, never teach your children an instrument. Um, they'll just, it's a way to make sure you butt heads and you hate each other and you fight a lot. Um, at some point my mom hired a piano teacher because she got sick of teaching us. Very understandably, we were bratty children. Um, and she picked the guy because he went to Juilliard but we kind of be, became apparent to us after like a while of time that he didn't have a piano at home. So he was using this time to practice and he had a very <laughs> heavy hand. And within the span of like half a year, we had to get our, re our piano retuned like twice, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, that guy, it was like, he always smelled like tobacco and mint, not in like a good way in the sort no. of like thinking of it and breathing it in my face kind of way. And I just hated yeah. my piano lessons. And I was done, but now I regret it. Now I wish I knew more piano because it's very useful for songwriting. Um, so you were right, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and it's also like, you know, sometimes it's like, a, you know, a, you could be in a, in a lounge somewhere and maybe there's a piano sitting around, but there's usually not a harp, you know. But if there is, that would be amazing. You know, if somebody does have a harp there, you're like, well, I bet they didn't think anybody would sit down and play this. Well, watch this. I, I know the Imperial March. I will say if somebody has a harp, they're, they're not going to trust a random stranger with it most of the time. So 
yeah, yeah. It, I guess it's not a it's not an inexpensive instrument. It's not like uh, it's not like taking up the flute, you know. And you can you can fold it up and <laughs> pack it away. Uh, well, let's talk about your dad because uh, I find him to be uh, interesting. I, not that I know anything about him, other than the fact that he was a punk rock guitarist and then he became a jazz guitarist. Now that just seems like maturation that seems like growing up you know because like everybody when they're young of course they want to be you know they they want to be johnny rotten or sid vicious and then they're like yeah but i'm just not that angry and you know and uh talk a little bit about his background and and honestly going from from punk to jazz i i think that i could see somebody sort of going the other way you know rejecting jazz <laughs> although i guess you know jazz in and of itself is, is not that structured so maybe maybe uh maybe he was too talented for punk i don't know and by the way love punk rock not knocking it but i'm just saying that it's not sophisticated you know whether you're talking about the sex pistols or the ramones or more recently like green day you know so there's there there's a, i have a soft spot for all the all this sort of stuff but at the same time, maybe uh, your dad uh, felt like he kind of had done it and moved on. So uh, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, his that decision on his part. There were like a lot of factors. I, I'm actually still kind of learning like bits and pieces about my dad's past. My mom and dad are weird. Like, like uh, my mom's the type who doesn't say anything about herself. And I learn all the stories from other people. And my dad's the type who says a lot about himself because he'll like tell you about how cool he was but he'll miss the actual really cool bits. And then it'll come up like once in a blue moon and you'll be like, whoa, like I just found out, I wanna say like half, half a year ago, like at some point during quarantine, I found out that he had been um, like People's Magazine's guitarist of the decade at one point. Wow, okay, and yeah. It was just so, like it wasn't even a flex for him. It was like my mom said it and my dad was like, yeah, I guess I did it. And I was like, you, you like get excited about like your you're like telling me about like your Dungeons and Dragons set, which arguably I do think is cool, but you don't get excited about the fact that you were People's Magazine's guitarist of the decade. Like that's weird to me. Um, but apparently, another thing I found out Christmas of last year was um, he actually played saxophone before he played guitar, and he played it for ten years and toured with some really famous country singers of which I cannot remember their names because I'm not very familiar with country, arguably. Um, but that was like his bread and butter for a while. And then he moved on to guitar and then became like a famous punk rock guitarist for the nuns. And he quit after um, the bassist, who was his best friend, Odie. Uh, okay, uh, sure. Um, and that was like, this is crazy. I'm out. Yeah. And that was when he decided to leave that scene, which I... I think is really admirable and I, I kind of get why that like that would be a huge emotional impact for him and a, a huge reason for him to leave. Um, jazz guitar, I don't even know where the hell it comes from after that. It was, I guess it's a fusion of him having played sax for so long and guitar for so long. And then suddenly he was doing it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is interesting what you're talking about, sort of the, the way in which let's put it this way. If, if any magazine, much less People magazine, said I was anything of the decade, those articles would be framed on every wall of the house so that no matter where you sat, you would see it. And also, if I was ever introduced to anyone for the rest of my life, I would be like, hi, nice to meet you. I was People magazine's, you know, guitarist of the decade or whatever, you know. There's a 
uh, a, a joke that my my boss used to tell uh, tell the uh, the comedian Paul Reiser, who people know from Mad About You. He was in a movie called Diner. It was the first thing he ever did, and this was a it was a granted it was a pickup line he would use you know after a comedy show to meet somebody. He would go up to a girl, and he would say. Hi, I'm Paul. Why, yes, I was in Diner. You know, so it's like, that's how I feel. If I had any kind of accolades, I would probably just right away be like, yeah, perhaps you know me from so, from such and such. And that's interesting because, uh, you know, my, you know, neither of my parents have any kind of uh, national awards or anything, but every once in a while, yeah, I think that's a thing about parents. There'll be stories and like buried in the middle. I'm like, wait a minute, who was there? You went to what? Like, like my mom and a group of her friends went to see the monkeys and they loved seeing the monkeys. And you know, this was the late sixties. So that's great. Jimi Hendrix opened for the monkeys and my mom and her friends hated Jimi Hendrix because they wanted to see Davy Jones sing. And they're like, who's this guy playing the guitar with his feet, you know? And I'm just like, well, what a great story that is. I don't want to hear about the monkeys. I want to talk about how you and your friends hated <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of funny you, you're like talking about that because my mom's really similar. Like um, I found out randomly from like a family friend that she uh, dated Chris Isaac for a very long period of time. Wow, um, okay. I think they're still friends. Um, and I remember like I brought it up and she was kind of like, so like, why are you bringing my ex right now? And I was like, because it's cool. Like yeah. it's kind of cool. Um, and uh yeah, it was really funny also because right after that, speaking of comedians, um, I think it was like, uh, what's her name? I keep on wanting to say Sandra Oh, but I don't think it was Sandra Oh. Uh, there was a very famous Asian comedian who dated Chris Isaac as well. And she has a bit where she talks about how she is the reason Chris Isaac likes Asian women and like oh. it tends to go for Asian women. And like my my dad and I burst out laughing because we know timeline wise, my mom dated him first. It's something that, uh, that, that I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about in a moment in terms of, you know, uh, standout recognizable uh, Asian performers, but you're probably talking about Margaret Cho because there are not a oh, lot, yeah. there are yeah. not a lot of female Asian, you know, there's, there certainly are others, you know, I mean, but because you're talking about from a while ago, she was kind of, she was the one, I mean, she, you know, she had a sitcom like 24 years ago, uh, you know, before, long before Fresh Off the Boat and like on Fresh Off the Boat, it's the show that they watch at one point because it's such a big deal, you know, and uh, that, that's actually really funny. I, I, I'm glad, for your sake, I hope that your mom isn't the isn't the woman in the Chris Isaac Wicked Game video rolling around on the beach because that would probably just be creepy for you to watch. No. But <laughs> what's interesting is a lot of the the women in a lot of Chris Isaac's music videos. So my mom back in the day, fun fact, had really long hair and that went all the way down to her ankles. Wow. Okay. And there's like a few different videos that I've seen of Chris Isaac's that feature not just Asian women but particularly long haired Asian women, and um. A lot of those songs came out after they broke up. Um, my mom, my mom doesn't find this fascinating at all, which is which is the funny part. She's just like, "Oh, well, Chris and I are no, like, why are you bringing up my ex in this conversation? This is strange." Yeah. And I'm like, "It's interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah. I just he could have been my dad. That's kind of weird." Um, yeah, I, I feel like 
I would be getting all of his albums, reading all the liner notes and like, well, how many songs in this album aren't about my mom? You know, because it's, it, it, yeah, I, it's funny that that's very interesting that, uh, you know, he's got a type, but yeah, tremendous singer. Uh, and, um, what I will say about uh, your actual dad, uh, I noticed, uh, I saw on your YouTube page, this was, this was a fairly impromptu thing, but there was this really sweet video of you and your dad doing this jazz standard called Paper Moon. And uh, I thought it was great. And, you know, in the comments, you're like, oh, it was only one take. I didn't really know the song. My dad had to walk the dog. And I'm like, well, yeah, I think all of those reasons are why it, it's sweet and it's fun is because it's natural. It wasn't like you and your dad tried to have this fun moment. And then somebody was like, okay, let's do it again, but, and, you know, tried to do it over. I, I don't know. I, I find it to be very endearing. So do you find that having parents with a musical background, maybe not with the cameras on, something like that fun might happen maybe when you were younger, growing up, you know, was that a pretty common sort of a thing? Like, oh, let's try this song together. And it wasn't for an audience in any way. Um, I still experience that now. Like, um, actually, like quarantine's been really hard, actually, because we haven't been able to hang out very much. Like, I... I don't live with them anymore. I miss them immensely. But uh, the one time we kind of broke our quarantine to hang out was Christmas. Um, and all of us were like singing Christmas songs in four part harmony. I'll add like none of us are religious, really. It's just it's the music that tends to like bond our family a lot of the time. Um, and uh, a friend came with me for Christmas um, because he didn't, he couldn't go back to his family for obvious reasons. Um, and he was just looking around and was like, I feel very bad about my musical capabilities right now. This is very like, this is impromptu. You guys haven't rehearsed this. You guys are just automatically doing four part harmonies and it's weird. It's weird. And I was like, I, we've been called the Von Traps at a number of parties. <laughs> it's apt. Yeah. Oh, but I mean, I think that's great. I, I can, I can relate to your friend, by the way, because that's like, you know, when you go to, when you go to karaoke and they, you know, there's like the, the, there's the, the one girl gets up, you know, and sometimes she works there and she does like, you know, fever or something. And you're like, Oh no, no, don't call me next. Nobody, nobody wants to hear me sing young MCs bust a move, you know, after that, or you'll get like the, the old rock guy who like actually wears the leather pants out to karaoke. And you're like, all right. Okay. I get it. I, you know? And so when you have people who are actually talented, like I was just going to have fun. I'm sure that none of your family thought any, anything of your friend, yeah. but I can see being intimidated, you know, just like, how about I, how about I don't sing? Do you guys have a tambourine I can play or something? Maybe a triangle, you know, you made a lot of jokes about like, well, I play the triangle very well. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want a triangle, but, um, it's kind of funny you mentioned the karaoke thing because I have a really strong, I have very strong opinions on karaoke and I'm actually very convinced that the people who have the most fun are not the people who can sing. The reason being, if you can sing, what happens is people go, wow, she can sing for like a, a second and then they go back to their conversations and then you're just standing there like awkwardly on stage, like, okay, I'm like yeah. belting it out everybody's kind of focused on their drink and conversation. But if you're really bad and you're like unabashedly bad, like bring it. Yes. I'm going to suck purposely. And it's going to be amazing. Like people will get up and be like, yeah, and start vibing <laughs> with you. And like I've, yeah. I've often picked songs that I know are like kind of out of my range or like I'm, I'm a terrible rapper. So I will pick rap songs 
just because those are the ones that will get everybody around me pumped if I'm going out for karaoke. Well, uh, my wife would agree with you 100% that the uh, people who have the most fun aren't the best singers because she'd be thinking of me. Uh, I am, I'm not a particularly good singer, but I do have fun. It's funny that you're talking about winning people over, though. Uh, I w- this is, oh, God, years ago, I was in Nashville visiting friends, and we were at a karaoke bar. And there's a picture of me on the stage, and in the front row you can see it's just a sea of cowboy hats. So that'll tell you what kind of place this was. But it's I did mention the song. So I did the the late 80s rap song Boston Move by Young MC. And I, I, I've never had more drinks bought for me. Everybody was so because everybody was singing country songs. So this this white boy comes up there and does Busta Move, a song that probably everybody there, you know, heard in middle school. And it was like the funniest thing that they ever saw. Everybody's like, oh, my God, we love this guy. So you, you can win them over. But if I'd gotten up there and, you know, I, I'd, I'd sung, uh, I don't when that if I sang, but like, say, you know, a, a, a female got up and sang like Dolly Parton's, you know, the original version of I Will Always Love You. They probably would have looked up and been like, mm-hmm, yeah, great. Dolly sings it better than you do, you know? <laughs> so so uh, I think that uh, there's really that. But uh, in, in terms of singers, I was kind of wondering, like, at what point did you start, you know, singing? Yes, you know, they're singing along. But at what point did you start singing like, oh, I really admire so-and-so? Was there a voice that's like, oh, I want to sound like her or I want to sing her songs because uh, it's they're the most fun? You know, what was the singer that kind of first stood out like, maybe not even like, oh, I can do that. It's more like, oh, it's fun to sing these songs. Um, There's a mix. I mean, if we're talking about the very first, it's definitely sure. my parents because I grew up with them and they're around. Yeah, if we're talking about like, like elementary school, the first singers, I was like, I'm obsessed with this. And like, I want to sing like that. And I, I'm, I'm learning and I'm learning and I'm consuming it. Um, just to be able to, to grow as a singer. Um, the first one was Ella Fitzgerald and I did a report on her in the second grade because I was just so like enamored with Ella Fitzgerald. Um, and Aretha Franklin kind of followed because I started karaokeing respect a lot. Um, I will say like one of the, but like for me as, as a musician, um, singing kind of came along with performing, right? It came along with this idea of just like, like singing for people, being the center of attention. I was a little bit of a brat and a little bit of like a, an attention whore, so to speak. So, um, the point where music kind of changed and became something more profound and became something more like, I, I don't just want to sing for people. I want to connect with people and I want to make music that, that I believe in from like a standpoint of like meaning something to myself. Um, it's Jason Mraz. And he's also the first ever concert I went to. Um, and then like later in life, like I had this whole obsession with the Wilson sisters that I will never relinquish. I love them so much. And it might be because they sound like my mom to me, but I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I mean, and it's interesting because like when you hear, you know, Anne and Nancy Wilson from Heart, when you hear them in interviews, obviously they're incredibly proud of the role that they play, you know, because I mean, it was, you know, I guess in the late seventies, it was them and, you know, you had the runaways, many of whom went on to, you know, have solo careers, specifically John Jett, who had a huge career, but, you know, Lita Ford too. But th- those are kind of like the two bands you can talk about. And you have this this whole, 
you know, mostly rock singers, but really for other genres that just that their body of work is so important to them because it was like, I mean, look at these two, you know, that just the fact that, you know, they could just bring it, you know, in, in the way they did. And they, they, they're, they're beautiful voices, you know, and it's, it's interesting to uh, think about sort of that part of their career. And then there's sort of like this late eighties, this very polished, like pop part of their career where they kind of like disown a little bit because they were like, Oh, that really didn't rock. But they, you know, there's like, there's a song called the, all I want to do is make love to you, which was like a number one single. And it's a very polished, not a rock song, but you're like, yeah, but listen to those songs, you know, like listen to the way that you both sing. So uh, yeah, I mean, I I can see it's, it's interesting. I think that maybe your parents' background might've steered you a little bit in in the, uh, the way the Wilson sisters, but I mean, what, what great influences to have, you know? I, it's really funny that you mentioned Joan Jett as well, because I saw, I want to say last year, but it was sometime, it was like a few months before the pandemic hit, I think. I saw Joan Jett and Hart live at the Hollywood Bowl. Still got it. Still got oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I like melted. I went home and just had like a... a and it brought on like a strange epiphany for me with singing as well and like why I sing the way I do and how I can sing better. It was just wild and I love them with a burning passion. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think that, uh, you know, it's 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 more common than it was, but uh, I, I think that, you know, you really have people who stand out like that and, uh, you know, that, uh, I, I mean, I guess the term trailblazer, I can't even say it, trailblazer gets thrown around, but I mean, that's really what they were. I mean, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, and still at it, like you said, you know, and, and, and not in the way where you're like, Ooh, maybe they should have, uh, you know, stepped back a little while ago and you know, still putting out music, you know, both Anne and Nancy have like solo projects coming out, I think this year. And, uh, you know, just the idea that they're still doing stuff, you know, at a point where it's like, they probably don't have to. And, uh, you know, one of, uh, sort of a little, uh, detour, but uh, one of my favorite recordings, uh, from them is, uh, on the soundtrack to the movie singles, uh, they do, uh, uh, the battle of evermore by, uh, Led Zeppelin. And, uh, it's just like to hear those voices singing Led Zeppelin and obviously Robert plants like way, way up here in such a high register anyway. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, one of my uh, favorite things and, uh, uh Jacob. Jacob uh, latching on to that. Jacob in the chat, Trailblazer makes me want to drive my Chevy Blazer. So thank you for that. We appreciate that. Anytime somebody brings the jokes with them. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I I was just sort of wondering, you know, sort of how it happens. And I can see sort of, you know, if you hear those songs wanting to sing along, uh, you know, and it's just, it's, it's really, I guess it's a matter of like what you're exposed to. So my daughter's three and she will just belt out the songs that she hears the most, which are from Daniel Tiger's neighborhood on PBS. And sometimes she'll use it to like, tell us how she's feeling. Like if she's sad, there's a song that, that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's okay to feel sad sometimes. And she'll tell us and we're like, Oh, this is like, she's got like a mini version of like crazy ex-girlfriend, you know? I mean, like where she's like, I'm going to sing my song. I'm going to sing my feelings to you. And it's just like, like her brother, her brother's five and a half and he never sings anything to us. And it's just, there's something that it's so sweet that this little three-year-old comes up and it's like, Oh my gosh, you're sad right now. Uh, well, let's, let's think about how we can get you to, to sing a happy song, you know? 
and I'm just sort of wondering the transition of I like to sing. And, uh, you know, in this uh, same interview I read, you talked about how some of your earliest stage experiences in elementary and middle school were fairly cringeworthy. And mm -hmm. uh, it made me realize that, uh, you know, sort of starting up, it, it, you know, starting your career in the age that you did is that, well, now everything is videotaped and lives on forever. And uh, when you have things that maybe make you cringe when you think about them, are you always worried that somebody's gonna be like, you know, like at Izzy Spring, hey, this you, you know? And you're like, yes, it is. Oh, it already happens. It already <laughs> happens. Like I've gotten, I've gotten people I don't know sending me those videos and, and oh. asking which those are the ones that really hurt because I'm like, oh, sure. oh. Um, but it is it is it's like a, a thing where um, a bunch of friends of mine from like high school and beyond have made a point of finding like my mom's old YouTube accounts and and like Vimeo accounts and pulling up clips of me from when I was like literally seven years old singing and being like this masterpiece, glorious. Um, and they'll quote the songs to me that I wrote then. One, one is particularly cringy because I'm like throwing my arms up and I like clearly think I'm the coolest kid in the world, but it's like the band's terrible. We're all in elementary school and I'm like, stop, stop, stop. And like uh, my, my friends regularly will go like, stop, stop, stop. And away you go. And I'll be like, I'm but at this point, like as much as I cringe, like you have to embrace it as like that. Well, that's a piece of my history, right? Like that's a clearly I I was I was still I was in, on a journey of becoming who I am, and it's also something that like um, I leverage when talking with people who are scared of music a little bit. Like uh, I've had instances where people have literally started crying and going like, "I've heard." your songs and they're beautiful and I don't know why I even try. And that's like the most heartbreaking thing for me to ever hear in the world because the last thing I would want to do is ever do the opposite of inspire people, but instead make people scared of doing what they want to do. And my response has been like, listen, like one, I have a long way to go, but two, as far as how far I've come, it's not the product of like natural talent. It's not like everybody's like, oh, you just have the genetics for it. I'm like, it's not that, it's that I grew up in an environment where I was lucky, um, but I did work hard over the course of a lot of years. When I started, I sucked. And there's video evidence that I sucked. And that means that anybody who feels like they suck at music and that they're never gonna get there, if they put in the perseverance, I guarantee that that will change over time. And before they know, they know it, they'll listen to themselves and be like, wow, I can't believe I sounded that bad long ago. That's like a place you want to be in. So. On one hand, yeah, like, yeah, I hate that those videos exist of me on the internet. But on the other hand, I'm I'm grateful that other people can can like learn from my journey and direct themselves to like being inspired more rather than scared. <laughs> if that makes sense. No, no, that that absolutely does. And uh, I was I was trying to remember which one of them it was, but uh, I know that either. Uh, Taylor Momsen from the band Pretty Reckless or Lizzie Hale of Hailstorm. One of them has videos like that where they were a kid doing stuff and because, you know, and it's just, it's out there and they've talked about it. It's almost the same thing where it's like, yeah, I mean, I was 12 and just sort of figuring it out. You know, I think that if 
you know, a lot of singers who came up when they were young, if they're, if everybody watching, you know, watching them sing in the church choir or whatever had had a cell phone and filmed it, yeah, they'd probably be out there. You know, there, there might be video of six-year-old Whitney Houston, although I would bet that six-year-old Whitney Houston probably sang pretty well, but that's not the point. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just like, yeah, but now there's this age where it's like, oh, look at this. And I guess there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, you're uh, accomplished enough in your body of work now makes people want to go and find the stuff. It's like, see, she wasn't always good, you know? <laughs> so at least, at least, at least it's that, you know, it's like, Oh, look, look where it was came from. But I'm sure that, you know, you learned a lot from those experiences about one, how to, you know, be better from your own standards, but also just, just performing in, in any way, you know, I mean, God, I, I was once an awful MC for a talent show in high school and uh, oh, it was the, it was all the wrong kinds of laughs. You know, people weren't laughing with me. <laughs> they were laughing at me. And uh, I was like, well, I don't ever want to feel that way again, you know? And uh, you just sort of like, maybe I should prepare better. You know, maybe, maybe I should, uh, you know, just really put it, you know, out there. So did you, did you, did you have like, you know, actual like bands that you put together or was it just singing with friends or was it a little mixture of that? Or did you like consistently work with the same people or was it just like, oh, look, it's talent show time. Let's do this song. And, and would it be, was it, would it be the same group of people or were you working with different people as you got older? Um, let's see. Uh, first technical band I was in was a camp band, which is the one that my friends find and will relentlessly tease <laughs> me for. Um, and I heard it. It was really bad. It was really bad. Um, but uh, <laughs> equally bad uh, was uh, a band I was in in middle school. I, I actually recently hung out with two of those people from that band. Um, and now I have to quarantine very properly because that was very risky. Something I'm not gonna do again for a long period of time. But um, I did see two of them because it was one of their birthdays. Um, and we've known each other since middle school and both like all of us kind of did like a, hey, do you remember that time when we were in a band and you were terrible at violin, but we let you in the, and he was like, oh God, don't bring up my violin, don't bring it up. <laughs> um, Icy tempo, but spelled, we were we were cool, so we spelled icy like a like a slushy, like an icy. Um, I had playground, which was my best friend and I made like a little duo band together. And most of the videos out there aren't cringy of that. There's one that's like really cringy because I tried to like parody a video that was online, and no one could hear what I was saying, and it just turned awkward very quick. Um, and then. <laughs> The last band I was in was a band that went by like 40 different names, but generally kept the same core three members. Um, and that there was like a point where we were renegades of rock. We thought we were super cool. Oh, sweet. I know. <laughs> I um, love that. That, <laughs> that one, we actually made it to like a House of Blues Battle of the Bands contest under that moniker, which is a nightmare to think about. And I was in that. Uh, Nylon Weasel was one. Atomic oh, sweet. Penguin. Atomic Penguin, uh, Chaos Theory, uh, Maji, which was just an acronym with all the people's names who were in the band at the time. And then we eventually settled on Good Mistakes. And then the band... I like I, I, I liked that one yeah. too. Um, the band kind of like fizzled out a little bit from there, but some of that music's still online. One of those songs is a bop and I will, I will stand by that. I wrote it when I was like 15, but it is a bop. And like 
me and that guitarist, uh, the guitarist from that band are still really close and still do music projects together. Um, and both of us are like, hands down, we'll play that song anytime we get the opportunity because it's very good. Um, but yeah, I think from like the band, um, that, that was like where we started actually like playing around clubs and like playing bigger venues, um, played like, you know, like House of Blues and uh, Pershing Square and um, God, I'm trying to think of all the places. We played a lot of places. Yeah. I mean, uh, Pershing Square, uh, you know, here in Los Angeles for people in the rest of the country and around the world, it, it, it's a it's a cool spot. Like, I, I think the only time I ever went there, I saw the 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 la sort of like funk i don't even know how to characterize them but it was uh it was the band fishbone and it was just like oh this is so cool to just be out in a park because you know when you you know other cities do stuff like that all the time and you know hopefully we get to a point where they're doing more stuff you know there, there's so many great like parks and things in la where you could do it i mean we have great actual like ticketed venues you talked about the hollywood ball and like the Greek theater is crazy because you look around and you're like, I'm in the middle of the woods, you know? I mean, and you're not really, but it feels like it, you know? So, uh, yeah, and I think that it's what it, people that don't live in L.A. or spend a lot of time here, a lot of time here, don't think of L.A. that way. And, you know, there really are, there's there's cool things you can do. I mean, you could, you know, you know it's uh, it doesn't have to be cheesy if somebody's playing out at the beach, you know? It's not necessarily like a kegger, you know, like a frat party. It can actually, like, if you're doing it at sunset, it could be amazing, you know? Uh, so uh, I uh, I did want to talk specifically about something uh, because, you know, I was, I was reading you talk about, being half Chinese and that immediately stood out to me because my kids are half Chinese, my son and my daughter. And I love the idea that you could be a musician that they look up to that. Maybe my daughter, instead of singing Daniel Tiger songs, she'd be like, I like that as a spring song. So I hope that, you know, that we get that point. But uh, the interesting thing about it is that, you know, my, my wife and her sister growing up in, in Orange County, there weren't really a lot of female Asian role models. I mean, basically it, there was Mulan and Jubilee from the X-Men and that was kind of it. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely generalizing a little bit, but you know, there were, there weren't a lot when they were kids, like that was kind of it. And I think we've come a long way since then. I mean, you'll have, you know, even like, you know, cartoons that my kids watch, they'll have, you know, a diverse group of characters, you know, and my, my daughter Lucy loves uh, this this Disney show uh, about a, 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 an Indian uh, royal detective. You know, it, it, her name is Mira, and it's like this. And she like loves this show, and it's set in India. And she like walks around with a little notepad and tries to solve mysteries at three. So I'm like, oh, I love that. There's you know that this is out there now. And I obviously you have your mom, and we talked about her, but did you feel that there were Asian figures in just publicly outside of your family that you're like, Oh, I, you know, this person can be an inspiration. And I, I hope the answer is yes, but I don't know that it necessarily was. And and I'm hoping sort of, you know, in the future, there are going to be more of those. There was one there. Was, I mean, um, I think it's also like especially nuanced when you're half Asian because it's, it's not quite the same experience as being like fully Asian. Sure. Absolutely. Um, the, the kinds of like the, just the general crap you run into in your day-to-day -day life is, is different. Um, I think uh, Priscilla on was an amazing half Asian, half Asian artist that um, I think my mom like just brought home a CD one day because she used to get a ton of free CDs from the radio station yeah. um, growing up. 
and uh, she had a song that my sibling used to play all the time. And I, I was just uh, obsessed with it. I was obsessed with listening to my sibling play music and my mom play music in general. Um, but started like looking up music of her, uh, of hers and, and getting really into it. And it was just the notion that was like, she's like me. She's, I think she's half Korean. Um, that thrilled me because it meant that there, you know, it might be a really hard place for, for a, a half Asian musician because not many people, not many big labels, not many, um, not many like talent bookers will think of you as relatable. Um, but even though it was hard, it was possible. And that like, that kept on getting reiterated to me every time I would, I would listen to um, a Priscilla on song. It was living in a tree by Priscilla on was the big song that I would, I still sing on repeat to this day. Um, and I, I always kind of felt like I wanted to be that for, for like kids just because um, I think nowadays we're doing a lot better with get, having Asian role models. We're not there yet for sure. Um, but like, you know, like crazy rich Asians coming out, like I cried not because it was like the most amazing plot line in the world. I cried because it was a, a crazy, amazing Asian cast. Um, and it just meant so many possibilities for us. It proved we like broke box office records, um, was like just a, a hit of the year. Um, and it proved so much. Um, it proved that my mom, who does acting on the side, didn't have to take the the roles where she just speaks in a really like racist Asian accent and like works at a laundromat, which was one of the bigger roles that she got. Although I don't think that ever aired. Um, it proved that um, people like me, who don't look like the average person walking down the street, who just look a little bit different, could still do something in the entertainment world. I don't know if that really answers the question because there were no, no, it, it absolutely does, and and I think you know you're right. I mean, and you know, my wife's a television writer, and I, I think that it, it's interesting because you know she, both of her parents are Chinese American, but she grew up in Orange County, so you know, and she, you know, it wasn't. I mean, I think that you know she has she had like grandparents and great grandparents who spoke Chinese and you know all that, but she wasn't raised traditionally because you know it's there's there's an era of moving here and like well right away you try to become as american as possible and i think that you know her grandparents had that viewpoint and now we actually have like mandarin lessons for our kids because my wife never learned it and she kind of wishes she had and you know i think that there's something to be said for that and you know so she finds a lot of the times when she's you know, interviewing to write on a TV show that if it's like, I'm using air quotes, but if it's an Asian project, a lot of times it's like, oh, well, she's not the kind of Asian we were looking for for this Asian project because, you know, she doesn't have that upbringing. And I think that you're still encountering that, but it, but then there's the reverse of that where it's like on, on other projects, it's like, oh yeah, we absolutely want your point of view and she'll get to work on shows because they're like, yeah, we want that perspective. And I think you're seeing more and more of that, you know, whereas maybe even 10 years ago, it would just be like, there just wouldn't have been the same level of interest. So I think you're getting to see it, you know, behind the scenes and then just, you know, some of the people in front of the scenes, you know, like, Obviously, like a comedian like Ali Wong is really well known. And I think she did like five nights at the Will Turn. You know, I went with my wife and her parents and her sister. Like we all went. But 
you know, going back to the same 25 years I was talking to, it was like just Margaret Cho, you know, and you have, you know, somebody like Aquafina who is, you know, just, you know, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and it's just like, I mean, she's going to be in a Marvel movie, you know? So it's like, you're like, yeah, exactly. And I mean, look, and even using that as an example, I mean, there's going to be an all Asian cast Marvel movie, which it's like, you know, you think about what they did superhero wise with black Panther and it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, no, we, we didn't just stop there. And you feel like, you know, your movie studios and, you know, corporations behind releasing music, people are starting to realize it's like, well, you know, there is a market for this stuff. There are so many different kinds of people. And I think that I, look, I, I, I don't know exactly, you know, where you are in terms of releasing things, but I, 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 I like to think that you being half Asian isn't something that is, that works against you in any way, but do you feel that there's, there's pros and cons to it, you know, where it's like, Oh, if you, you know, do you feel like you've run into people who, if you were all one way or the other, it it might have you know created an opportunity. If you were all Asian or all white, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, it's super unfortunate, but I think like we're at a place where we're starting to accept like the idea of like casting. Like, for example, just thinking of TV, you look at like casting lists a lot of the time, and it'll be like white, Asian, or black. Right? You don't get a lot of like mixed race. And if it is mixed race, it's like mixed, but not in the way that I'm mixed, right? Like I, I'm mixed in the way where nobody can tell what I am necessarily. Um, it's, it's like, I've had to articulate, I am half Chinese. And then people squint and go, really? I don't, I couldn't tell like from the start. Um, there are some times where people can tell a little more. It's kind of a, a strange ballpark, but the idea is that a lot of big execs say like, oh, that's not relatable to anybody. Like she, like nobody's gonna relate to her because nobody quite looks like her. Um, which for me, I think is just like forgetting that there's an entire generation right now that is growing up the way your kids are growing up, which I think is amazing. It, it opens up a whole um, wide range of opportunities for for people like me and people like your kids because now there's more of a market for it. Um, the problem is just proving that to executives. Um, as for just like general problems that like you get as like being half Asian, like I don't get the slurs my mom gets, which is nice. I don't get accosted in the street the way my mom has been accosted in the street for being Asian. Um, but I do get the the strange sexual sexualization um, that doesn't actually work in your favor most of the time. It just means that like people approach you from the standpoint of like they think they can take advantage of you from the get go. Um, I've, I've worked with some people where I felt like I need to watch my drink, <laughs> you know, like this is not um, an ideal environment to be in as like a female artist that is considered exotic is the term that's thrown around a lot. It's not super fun. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that like the more people like me just saturate industries like this, the more people who like push to be like, I'm, I'm taking up space. I'm not, I'm not one or the other. I'm, I'm both and I'm a hundred percent both. I'm a hundred percent both sides of myself and I cannot disconnect from either. Um, and I'm representative of a huge amount of people who are exactly like me, who can relate to those experiences. Um, I think it'll make more opportunities for kids growing up. How I am. I think I'm talking a little circles. Ah, no, 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 no. These, no, these are, uh, I mean, this is sort of exactly, you know, look, I, and, and, 
we we've been talking for almost an hour and we're going to actually i know i just i'm like oh my goodness and this is all the stuff that i was interested in and not that i'm not interested in talking about the songs and all that which we'll get to in a moment but i really thought that uh you know this this was it really spoke to me that that was your background and i and look i'm gonna be honest when when i was sent the video and i saw the picture of you in it i didn't see and think like Oh, well, she's half Chinese. I didn't think about it. I, I don't make those evaluations one way or the other. But in reading the article, I'm like, oh, I really want to talk about that because I do wonder, you know, what it's going to be like for my kids who look, neither of them really look Asian. Uh, and there's a there's a relative of my wife's who saw my son when he was born and said, oh, I guess he won as in me and I had the dominant genes. And it's just like, what? I mean, that. how about inside voice for that, you know, and just say, oh, he's so cute, you know, and it's just, it, it's interesting because you, you can get it from all sides, you know, and I think that, you know, the way that my kids grew up, uh, you know, I mean, five and three, you know, when they play with friends at preschool, it's not like, it's not clicky at all. Like, you know, even like when I was a kid, you sort of felt like it was, it's just, you know, whole groups of them. And I feel like it's, everything's just a lot more uh, homogenous now, probably because, you know, some of the kids that they know have a, a, a black parent and a white parent, they have different genetics, you know, and there, there are the, the parents that, you know, this family has two moms, you know, that, you know, they're sure there'll be families with a transparent and all this. And I think as time goes on, the, you know, it's, it's a, it, it, it's definitely a cliche that the children are our future, but you see in them and you're like, oh, they've got it together so much better than we ever did. You know, oh, I mean, right. I'm, I'm, I'm 45 and, you know, look in the, in the eighties, uh, just, you know, sort of just the, the, the way that people were grouped together, you know, and I mean, it was like, People meant well. I, I I legitimately feel like they meant well. And you know, you would you would hear kids who would you know they would use slurs, and they like the black kid would kind of look at them and they're like, oh, oh no, we don't mean you. You're one of the good ones. And they're like, well, no, that's the worst thing you can say. And I like to hope that my kids are better than that. You know, than yeah. than kids my age were, who you know they just real they just don't see things like that. And I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I didn't mean to get so heavy, but it just uh, it it was exciting. And I'm like, well, I I love that someone who points out the fact that she's half Chinese, is is a singer and sort of building this career with these great songs that I do want to talk about, <laughs> and uh, you know, just the uh, just very hopeful for the future. You know, as as we think about it, and uh, hopefully, you know, you're finding that. Uh, as, as you go through that, uh, it's, it's not something that, uh, you're finding is, is, uh, being held against you in any way, you know? I mean, I think it is, but I also think, um, there's actually a chef, um, chef Jung Kung, um, who's an Asian chef. Um, but he's, he's American Asian, very similar to your wife where like he was kind of kept out of the culture. He uses food often to reconnect with a lot of components of his culture. Um, and one of the things that he talked about actually in like a video that he did was there, there was like a study done on um, Asian Americans who like are considered kind of other when um, around like uh, Asians from the homeland um, as well as half Asian kids and something that there's a phenomena that they have in common, which is that they tend to feel like a little bit disconnected from both sides. And because of the fact that they've had exclusionary, like ex have been excluded kind of from both groups, 
They find that they're more empathetic to all groups and have a, an easier time picking up new social concepts. And as we see a society that's growing exponentially with the number of like mixed children, because we're now a global society, you can travel anywhere, you can meet anybody to fall in love. Um, that means that we're reaching a point where society is going to be filled with a lot of empathetic kids. Um, and I think that's a beautiful like notion for the future. And there's that sad portion of it that's, that's you know, like you are authored. I, um, the worst bully I had growing up used to call me a half breed on the regular, which was um, at first, like, I didn't even know how I should interpret it. But after a while of being called that every day was definitely very hurtful. Definitely like took a lot to not internalize that. Um, but then growing up now, like I see another half Asian person across the room and I'm like, oh, you're half Asian. It doesn't even matter. Like, you know, like it'll be someone who's half Japanese. We like actually, like our cultures are not the same. Chinese is very different, but there's a relation we have and a commonality of an experience, um, and the ability to kind of, um, relate to, to a lot of different experiences. So I think even though it's not going to be perfect, um, it'll be a little bit hard. Your kids will have a really beautiful experience. And, and I, I'm, I'm so glad that we got to talk about this. Like it makes me happy because it's really important to me too. Yeah, no, no, it, it's, uh, I, I really, and, and the, you know, the interview that I, it was a print interview. So I, I, I just sort of had to guess. I'm like, I feel like there's, there's really a lot to say here. And, you know, there's a comment in the chat that I think says it all. Colette says, Izzy looks American. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly the point because it's American is, is such, you know, is such a very, there's not a specific look anymore. It's a little bit of everything. And, you know, especially when you grow up somewhere like Los Angeles and I grew up outside of New York city, American is, it's a little bit of everything, you know? And uh, I think that it's, it's, it's really, I don't know. It's a, it's a great thing. You know, people around the, around the world can uh, knock America for uh, a lot of things, but uh, we, we tend to be uh, very diverse. And uh, I think that, you know, finding an artist like yourself uh, who it, it's not pitched as, you know, and nowhere in the press release does it say, I, at least I don't, I don't think it said, you know, half Asian, you know, it's only because I was reading about it and I'm like, oh, this is a, you know, sort of an interesting angle. And it's in, in, in all the right ways, I think it doesn't matter because it, you know, it, it isn't a way to, you know, quantify somebody's worth is like, well, you know, there's, there's this or that. And the, I think that what really helps is that the songs themselves are great and uh the the newest one monsters in the closet that we get to at the 58 minute mark of the interview but uh there was like the thing that we're talking about and i'm sort of uh the my first question when i was hearing that uh do you tend to write all your songs by yourself some of your songs do you collaborate or is it more like you know bouncing ideas off of friends or family uh talk a little bit about your process and then we'll talk about the song itself um, it's depended heavily. So when I was in uh, my band, actually the guitarist that I mentioned that I still kind of do music with and collaborate with, we used to write a lot together. Um, sometimes my band was like, it was a group of like rowdy, rowdy dudes. Um, so they would sometimes be like, hey, hey, we're going to play something. Izzy, just uh, write something. And I'd be like, how long I got? And they'd be like, three minutes. And I'd be like, ah. So I'd just write out something really quickly in three minutes. And that would often be like the song forever. We just wouldn't change the lyrics. Um, there's a song called like, like touch my hair. We did that. Like it was literally just goo goo gaga, like garbage that I just wrote down because I thought it fit the syllables and then I can never find anything better than that. Um, 
But conversely, there were also a lot of times where I would come in and say, hey, I wrote a song and I'd play it for them. And they'd say, uh, wait, am I allowed to cuss on here? question you can no no it's a good it's a good question but it's just it's just the internet it's you know youtube twitter uh facebook and uh you know soundcloud apple Podcasts, all that i i i click the explicit version for the uh, audio so yes you can definitely swear Woo! okay <laughs> um <laughs> there was a point where um like i would come in with like songs and they and i'd play it for them and they'd be like cool cool chords sound ass sound like ass i'm not gonna lie i'm gonna rewrite them all and then they would rewrite like a lot of the instrumental parts but the bare bones of the song would stay the same um and then when i started getting more into like my solo projects and like diving into that like i would basically like write everything but i would have um like a friend help me with the arrangement specifically because i think making music in a box where like it's just my voice and my thought process it's hard to communicate exactly how I'm feeling without knowing how somebody else feels when they feel or when they listen to what I'm doing. So like uh, Monsters is a really good example. I wrote that um, during Christmas. There's like a very sad story behind it. Um, but like I just wrote it on a guitar crying on a bed. Um, and then when I finally got into producing it, I had one of my best friends actually work on this with me. And he was like, I want to get like audio of like weird monster noises. I want um, like get your dad to like growl into a microphone. And there's this really epic like growl part in the second chorus that like all of my friends turn it up right at that part. And they're like, oh, the monster growl is so cool. And I'm like, that's my dad. That is my father. Um, or like in the bridge, he tried to like sneak in like audio of my mom arguing with herself. It's like super weird. Um, you can't really hear it, but it does kind of add to something atmospheric. Um, there's a part where he is like ASMR whisper reading his book just because he thought it sounded like creepy and cool. Well, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, the, and a AMSR, I always put the letters in the wrong order. But uh, yeah, that always sounds creepy, you know, just at any time. It's just like it doesn't matter what they're doing. It's like the quieter the, they whisper, the slower they talk. I'm like, no, stop. You know, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely, I, I can see how that would add to the mood of, of the songs. Uh, and, you know, sort of, you know, not even about writing the song, but just sort of in general. I mean, I think it's a relatable song because I would say probably everybody has monsters in the closet and it's all really a matter of how you deal with them, you know? Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm glad that, that people are relating to it and resonating with it because it definitely means a lot to me. Um, yeah. what's weird is that, that the song was about literal monsters for me, like literal monsters in a closet. Um, just because there, there was a closet that like my older cousins used to shove me into if they thought I was being annoyed and would like lock me in and they like convinced me there were monsters living in it. Um, and like, it, it's kind of like cheesy to say it out loud. Um, when I talk about this, but, um, it like the whole song itself is about like transitioning from like being a child to being an adult and realizing like those monsters that like were in that closet, not nearly as bad as like your adult monsters. Those, those really suck. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean the, well, I mean, when you think about it, when you're a kid, the, the monster that you're afraid of, you're afraid of the dark. It's the unknown is what you're afraid of. And when you're an adult, unfortunately, what you're afraid of is what you know. And it's, you know, the worst things of your life are what's in the closet. And, you know, it's uh, when you're a kid, you're kept up in the middle of the night because like, 
what's that noise? Who knows what it is? And then when you're an adult, you're just thinking about like, oh, you know, terrible things that happened or, you know, things that you might've done that you regretted and all that. And uh, yeah, I think it, it, it unfortunately the, the monsters only get bigger and scarier and, uh, and, and none of them look like Mike and Sully from monsters Inc. Unfortunately, because if they did, it would, you know, they'd be cuddly. So it, it wouldn't be so bad. Uh, you were talking about writing songs quickly. And uh, Sam just mentions that Jimi Hendrix wrote little wing in five minutes, which I think Sam missed this part of the conversation. My mom would not have been, impressed by uh jimmy hendrix doing little wing uh because she wanted to see davy jones but uh you might have to get back to that and you know sam also said this earlier i could care less about ethnicity sexuality or any of that i care more about what people bring to the table uh you know sam's a little bit younger than uh the, well than i am for sure uh than you know some people out there in the audience and i think that uh, you know it's a perfect example of younger people it's more about like well who are you and you know and i i don't want to know which circle you fill in on a form you know that says about your background tell me a little bit about yourself and you know that's always a, a fascinating thing about getting to do uh interviews like this uh i wanted to talk about a few other songs because your uh your youtube page uh has a, a few videos and i think saying youtube page just made me sound really old but you know youtube uh and there was another one that i liked you had a song called uh betting on myself and i don't want to read too much into it but i assume that anytime that anybody pursues an artistic endeavor like you and I were talking about earlier, you ultimately need to like bet on yourself because no matter how strong a support system you have around you, uh, if you're not going to bet on yourself, then why would anybody else? And uh, I might, I might've just sort of been inferring in that, but uh, I thought that uh, the, the message of that song I thought was a, was a strong one. No, I mean, there were a lot of different reasons I wrote it. Part of it, I will admit, were more like relationship-related reasons um, and more just like about being treated a specific way. But it was also at a time in my career where like, all, you know, living in LA is particularly hard um, as, as far as like being in music goes. Um, I will say like, how do I phrase this? Because this is, this is kind of a, I don't want to come off narcissistic thinking about it, but um it goes back to what you're saying. If you don't believe in yourself, like who would? Um, and more than that, even when people believe in you, it doesn't mean that they're going to put in all of, like, they're not going to necessarily bet. They might believe like, yeah, you can do it somehow. I, I bet it'll, like, it might happen, but they might not be willing to back you up at, at all those points. Um, like we were talking earlier about like going to your friend's shows and like how hard it is to get people to come out in LA. Um, and I think there was a point where like I had gone through, like I'd worked with like a producer who kind of uh, took me for a loop a lot of the times and promised a lot, never really delivered a lot of things. Um, and it was incredibly frust frustrating for me. And um, there were a lot of points where I was like, you know, if people don't believe in me, like how am I supposed to keep doing music? Um, and it kind of hit me like, I don't care if other people believe in me. I'm going to do this because I believe in me. I believe in like the direction I'm going. I'm going to do this because I think that there's somebody out there who could benefit from listening to my music and like um, maybe all the way across the world could like be feeling the same things that I'm feeling. And if I can connect with like two people, one person, right? I feel like I've, I've made enough of a, like an impact um, and I can ride that momentum and keep going with what I'm doing. So that was, that was a huge inspiration pushing me to write that song. <laughs> yeah, no, and and you know, it's funny the thing you say about 
you know, connecting with people uh, in regardless of how many it is. I mean, you know, I think that uh, there are a lot of expectations when people enter the digital space and, you know, hosting shows and posting content online. And when I first started doing a, a podcast and I would look and I'm like, oh, my God, 300 people listened. I'm like, how could... 300 people f possibly find anything interesting that I have to say. And, you know, I mean, I was contributing on a, like a national radio show and all this. So some people might be like only 300. Well, I'm going to stop, you know, because it's not enough. And I'm like, Oh no, no, I can't believe it's that many, you know? And when you get any kind of feedback, it's funny because you can get, I don't know. I, I would assume it's like the sort of the same thing for any sort of creative person. It's like you get, 10 really nice things, messages like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. This is great. And then there's just the one snarky, smart ass comment where you're like, God damn, it just ruins your whole day. And, and it's like, for me, I'm like, ah, I, I know exactly what I would write back to that person, but I have to pretend that I didn't see it because I don't want them to know that it ruined my day, you know? And the, so I, you know, focusing on the idea of like making, you know, an impact on anybody, uh, obviously, you know, people, you know, if you want to be able to sustain a career and do things for a long time, you know, the, the, the Rolling Stones, uh, reached more than 300 people. I understand that, but you know, just the idea that it's like, that it, it, it meant something to somebody, you know, it's, it's always a great feeling. And, uh, you know, fortunately for you, uh, you know, you're, your videos have more than 300 views. So uh, I think that, uh, that that is uh, definitely trending in the, in the right direction. Um, I do want to talk about a couple more songs before I uh, let you go. I know that uh, even though we are on the West coast, uh, we're, we're staying up a little bit late. We've got some people in the chat, which I always appreciate. Uh, yeah. Sam actually makes the point. Uh, that's why you don't read the comments. Uh, Sam has a show that he does. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't not read the comments because I want to read the good ones. So I have to be prepared to be like, oops, that's a bad one, <laughs> you know? And, uh, because I, I, you know, it, it makes you feel good to read the good ones. I think if I only ever got bad ones, that's probably when I would stop. But, uh, you, uh, another video that, uh, you posted and just because of the date on it, you can tell that it was, it was early in the pandemic. It was a video of you're just singing with an acoustic guitar, a song called Sunnyside. And uh, no doubt, obviously, you know, it's been an emotional year for uh, for everyone. Um, do you think about a song like that? And, and can you think for a moment like, well, you know what, maybe we're at least somewhat closer to a sunny side than we were a few months ago, or certainly the place that you and the whole world were in when you sat down and sang that song? Um, I mean, it's, it's starting to feel close for sure. Um... I, I wrote the song because I thought the end would be closer than it was also. Like, it, it was just like, I thought like, well, you know, like one day, you know, maybe a few weeks from now, I'll wake up and I'll be on the flip side of this and it'll be, everything will be sunny and happy again. I'll be able to see the sun quite literally. Um, I think like over time I did get a little bit more depressed, which is like home for the holidays got written during that time. Monsters got recorded during that time. A lot of different like, sad boy songs came up and I'm noticing even myself starting to write happier music, which I think is just a trend in an upward direction where like, I can feel the good thing coming. Um, seeing like all the vaccinations happening, um, knowing that a lot of my friends are getting vaccinated currently. Um, I have some who are like even on their way to their second vaccination really soon means that we're, we're going to be in a spot where like, even if everybody isn't vaccinated, it's going to be a lot safer just to, to go outside. Um, 
So yeah, I'm, I can see it. Can yeah. It. And you, you know, it's interesting because obviously it, it, it's, there's so many different opinions out there. And, you know, when it comes to social media, you know, there's, uh, you know, everybody seems that they want to, you know, and look, it, it, there's, there's a great thing about social media, which is that everybody gets to interact with people that, you know, maybe from parts of their life where they haven't seen them in a while and that can be good. But then the flip side is that it's, maybe in the old days it was better when you didn't talk to people that you grew up with that you haven't seen in you know 15 years or whatever uh i'm just generalizing that didn't happen to me of course but you know and it, it's just like sometimes you're just like uh i'm excited because my kids are going back to preschool but i don't want comments on that to be like what your kids are going out in public and it's like yeah it was a really hard decision to come to but we felt like it was good for them and i was just like oh, i don't want to have that conversation you know and you know you'll see people will post things about like oh my god i can't believe that uh, you know restaurants are having people eat outside again but then i see that and i'm like well that's great for the people who work at the restaurant because that means they have a job again because look it would be great if the government gave everybody, you know, $2,000 a week or whatever, but if they're going to give you only $2,000 a year, you have to figure out a way to live. And I'm like, well, that's great. So when I see things like that, I find it encouraging. Like, you know, the day that we're recording, this, this is the first day of the baseball season. And, uh, you know, all throughout the country, you'd see that, you know, stadiums that held like 45,000 people had like, you know, five to eight thousand people and they were mostly empty but i'm like yeah but look at all those people so that's great people are able to do stuff and if they're being smart and they're keeping away i think that's a great thing and i i let myself be encouraged and you know look there were other times during the pandemic where i was encouraged and then all of a sudden it was like oh yeah we're just kidding we're not gonna actually do all this stuff so uh go back inside for a little while and i'm like oh, okay but i try to be encouraged and i try to you know and i, I think the difference is the vaccines. And yeah, like you, I know a lot of people who've had two shots, you know, and you're like, okay, great. And, you know, it's going to be open to everybody over 16 in Los Angeles, not just Los Angeles, California as a whole, uh, in two weeks, two weeks from today. And so it's like, well, great. Th these are all good things. I'm going to let myself be happy. I don't want people to be careless where it's like, oh, great. People have shots, you know, let's, uh, you know, let's go back to, uh, you know, let's have uh, Coachella, it, it, you know, which uh, has been uh, postponed a couple of times, you know, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, let's not have Comic-Con this summer. You know, let's, you know, let's figure out what it is. Well, they, they did announce it. <laughs> well, they're going to, they're going to do it in November Comic-Con. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess if you feel like people are going to get, you know, vaccinated and, you know, if, if, and I think that's more of those like, well, we'll do Comic-Con in November if things continue to go well, you know, and uh, I, I find that encouraging and I'm sort of wondering, you know, the, the optimist in you, uh, you know, I'll talk to a lot of musicians and a lot of them will be like, Oh, I haven't performed live in a long time, but every once in a while, some of them will surprise me. They'll be like, Oh yeah, we played in Colorado last weekend for like 3000 people, you know, out in a field and I'm like, okay, I get it. Cause you know, you're outside and you can do it. Um, what are, is, is sort of your, uh, expectation for hoping to be able to get back out there and perform. And, you know, it would probably be smart to do it somewhere like in Pershing square. Let's not, let's not try and cram people into the whiskey or the Roxy or, you know, those places where, you know, it's just, you can like <laughs> taste the, the, the body heat from everybody there just in the air. Uh, what, what's sort of your best case scenario and when you're hoping for like, Oh, it would be great to, be able to play in front of a crowd of any size at some point. 
I mean, honestly, like once I'm vaccinated, I, I'm personally of the thought process that like people should be going out at their own risk once like the vaccine is available and we've had enough time in that buffer period. Um, that being said, that can be a little bit selfish of a thought process considering a lot of people have autoimmune disorders and things like that. Um, I will be open to playing shows at like any place. So I'm looking forward to it, even if it is the sweaty, grimy, like everybody's close to each other place. I will say if I'm off stage and talking with everybody, I'm still gonna wear a mask because I learned during this pandemic, I don't like people breathing on me. I was like- Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's funny because, uh, you know, you start to realize just how dirty the world is. Uh, back uh, President's Day weekend, uh, we took the kids to the San Diego Zoo. And like every few feet, there was a hand sanitizer dispenser. And you looked at it and you thought, hey, why wasn't this always here? You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah, they should be. And and I'm just, and I, you know, my wife and I've talked a lot about this. It's like, oh, I. I don't think I'm ever going to stop carrying the little pocket hand sanitizer. And, you know, my wife used to always have them for when we went to a concert or a sporting event because those places are dirty, you know? And it's, it's like, yeah, I think that there's uh, something to be said for it. Uh, I haven't flown during the pandemic. I don't know if you have, but uh, I can't imagine that even if I didn't fly for two years, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to feel okay wearing a mask in that recycled air and the, be this little tube, you know, out, up in the sky. Uh, I, yeah. And I think that uh, it is a lot of like, you know, proceed at your own risk. I mean, if you go to like, you know, like places like Knott's Berry Farm, they'll do outdoor like food festivals where you can't go into anything really. But it's like, if you go, it's like, well, at you know, you're coming here at your own risk. We want to make sure you understand that, you know, you could catch this disease. And I think that, yeah, I mean, being more open to it and, you know, you're hearing about musicians who are touring and, you know, They'll they'll do like you know nine dates in Florida and like eight in Texas because those are places where they can. But if you talk to people who go to stuff like that, very rarely have I talked to somebody who said like, oh, you know what, I really didn't feel safe there. You know, I, and so you hope that obviously everybody is 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 you know operating in in the best interests of everybody around them. And uh, yeah, just the idea of uh, getting to see live music again. I mean, I. I uh, I have a a friend who's in a, a Kiss tribute band, and they played at a parking lot at a minor league baseball stadium in uh, Lake Elsinore, you know, down near Temecula. And uh, I'm like, oh, I will absolutely drive two hours to see uh, a live performance uh, in a parking lot because I, you know, it had literally been it had been 53 weeks since I'd seen a band perform, and I'm like, yeah. Uh, and and they were nice enough to they were nice enough to let me intro them, you know, before they came out on the stage, and I'm like. Well, that even made it, you know, extra worth it. And uh, it's just like, you know, well, you know, what's available? Great. I, I want to be able to go. But, you know, everybody there in the parking lot, they they had their masks on. And it may be because it was it was a little little breezy that night. But still, I don't know. You feel like people uh, take it seriously for the most part. And, uh, you know, I you'd think that somebody would that would have an event that would hire you to uh, perform at it would be somebody that was looking out for your best interest and the best interest of their customers because, you know, these these venues of, of all sizes have struggled so much. The last thing that they want to do is reopen and then have to close again. You know, so I think that uh, everybody's going to be a lot smarter uh, when they're able to be. Uh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, you and I are lucky though, because we live in LA and I do, I will say like the level of precaution we're taking here is definitely a lot better. So like the, the friends that I saw who were 
used to be in a band with me, a really bad band in middle school. Um, recently, um, what we did was we went to Yosemite and we went hiking and every rest stop we, we stopped at to like use the bathroom, people just weren't wearing masks. They weren't bothering, um, uh, which was really frightening. I think like, I, I doubt I got anything from them, but part of the reason I'm like, I got quarantined really hard was just because if I did get something, it was just from random people who just didn't want to wear a mask. Don't believe it's happening. Um, but we live in, our, in an area where like everybody's taking it super seriously because we're all suffering the consequences. I think a lot. Um, just, I don't want to be in lockdown anymore. So like, yeah, being super hard. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it, it's, you know, it's one of those things, you know, you'll see, you know, I was talking about, you know, seeing people at baseball games. Well, they were all wearing masks while they're there. And it's like, oh, it's, it seems like a trade-off. Like, you know, you'll see a TV show with a studio audience, like Saturday Night Live, they'll, they're all wearing masks. And it's like, oh yeah, if that's the trade-off to get to watch, you know, entertainment, sure. Uh, and, you know, Sam uh, makes another good point. Uh, don't forget about all the stand-up comedians doing parking lot gigs. Yeah. I mean, and especially in New York, I mean, they were doing like rooftop gigs and park gigs gigs and uh you know you heard about so many of them and it's just like people want to be entertained and i think that they're ready for things that make them you know it feels like things are normal uh but you know they want to be safe uh and to sort of circle back to the the last thing i wanted to talk about was a, a you have a song called off and it seems to be about how parties aren't always so fun and I was wondering, is it an unexpected silver lining of social distancing to not have to go to a bad party right now to be able to say like, oh, I really don't want to go to that. And just like, oh, you know what? No, not, you know, I mean, it, it, I just sort of, it made me think about the context of that, of like, you know, look, I've been to some really fun parties, but boy, have I been at parties that I'm just like, oh, I really wish I drove myself here because now I can't leave because I came with my friend who's somehow having fun and i am not you know i super get that and that's a hundred percent what the song's about um i actually had a whole talk with a friend about this because both of us were like commiserating that now that our friends are getting vaccines they're starting to like hit us up over facebook and be like hey you know the cdc says if i have a mask on and i've i've gotten the vaccine and you have a mask on we can hang out because the risk is minimal and even with just one vaccine, it's like the likelihood of me passing on COVID is very slim. And I'm like, oh, oh, uh, oh no. Um, I, I have a thing, I have a thing. Um, darn shame, but I've got a thing. And I realized I, I do really love having the excuse of like quarantine. We can't see each other, sorry. I totally would if it weren't for quarantine, which maybe I'm not a fun person. Maybe that's the lesson I'm learning from <laughs> Uh, well, it's funny because uh, I, I, I just looked it up. A, a friend of mine did a, she like shared a tweet from someone and it said, I'm not going to tell anyone when I'm vaccinated in case I need an excuse not to hang out. It was literally earlier today. I, like that's the sentiment. Because you know, a lot of people are posting like, here I am with my shot. Here's my little card. And you, I, I'm like, oh, that's great. They're like putting it out there. Like, hey, look, it's a good thing to do. But then at the same time, it's like, wait, then everybody knows. It's like, what's your excuse? So I think we might run into that where you're going to get people who are like, yeah, you know, not uh, not just yet. But uh, anyway, so uh, I so I know that uh, you have you have all these songs that are already on your YouTube and uh, obviously Monsters in the Closet is the current one. Uh, what 
what's the plan for for more i mean just releasing more songs and look i know a lot of uh, musicians don't really release albums anymore you know i mean i i talked to uh the singer for this band dirty honey they don't even have a, a record label and they just put out songs that get played on rock radio and they're like as soon as we feel like we need one maybe we'll do it and just the music industry is so different than I was going to say 10 years ago, but even five years ago, it's so different now. So what, what is the, the short-term plan and uh, what uh, should we expect to see more of uh, from you in the near future? Well, I do, I have a song that's like queued up in the universal pipeline. It's a little, it's actually rough being you know part of a label because I have a lot of songs that I'm sitting on and I just, I can't do anything with it because you need, you need like the album art ready, the video ready, everything ready. I sometimes like, Monsters I released without a video ready. I was like, I mm, we just gotta get it out. Um, and they let me do it, but there's a limit, and there's definitely a limit to the amount of like videos I can create safely during you know a national pa or a global pandemic. Um, but there's a song ready called Magic Involved. Um, right after that, I think I'll probably be releasing a song that I'm probably just gonna entitle Amber's song. It was a song that I wrote for a friend who was leaving an abusive marriage, like horribly abusive. Um, and like, I had stayed up talking with her until like 3 a.m., but I just couldn't stay up any longer because I'd work the next day. And I realized when I have like, when I'm feeling like garbage and I just want to like talk to somebody, um, it's not really like the person I need to talk to, it's the presence of having like another voice. So I really quickly wrote that song and like recorded it super quiet. So I didn't wake up my neighbors and I sent it off to her. Um, and I think it made a huge amount of difference for her. And I was like, wow, that, that might be beneficial for other people. So that one's what that one is about. Magic involved is like, just, it's just cheesy and about like really loving life so much. And like the people that I've met in this life that even if I had the option to be reborn into a magical world, like right this instant, I would stay just, I would stay here just for the people, even though, uh, even though some of this world isn't as pleasant, but <laughs> that's, that's definitely true. Well, that seems like, uh, you know, sort of as we're talking about heading towards the sunnier side, you know, looking at, uh, more pleasant things that, uh, seems like, uh, you know, sort of a, a good way to, uh, head out there. You know, you're talking sort of about making videos safely. And, uh, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the betting on myself video where the other, like the band in it, they all had like masks on. And I'm like, oh, that seems like that was probably actually made during the pandemic because it's a safe way to be around other people. Or am I wrong? Was it actually older than that? Because I'm like, oh, look, they have these masks on. I'm like, that's such a smart way because, you know, it, it's like a lot of bands are doing stuff where they're like, you know, out in a field, like six feet apart and or, or doing split screens and stuff. Uh, so was that made that way or, or uh it just happened to be a coincidence, to be honest. I, okay. I, um, I'd been working, like, I had asked one of my friends to help me out, and he did, like, a little storyboard. He put animal masks on everybody, and he was like, look how cute this is. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll buy them. And I just I got the animal masks and got a lot of crap from Target and filmed it in my garage. I made, like, a cardboard set just so I could tear it down. Um, <laughs> and like go wild. There was a plot line. It's kind of gone in that music video. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened. Half of the footage wasn't usable because we forgot to like turn off a light and it just looked bad. <laughs> oh no. Oh, all the shenanigans. Um, but uh, now that you're saying that though, I'm like, oh, Magic Involved, we had a whole idea with astronaut helmets. And there now I'm like, 
this is big brain. This is some big brain stuff happening. Hey, see, look, if 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 you're gonna if, if you're gonna spend ninety minutes talking to somebody in the middle of the night, uh, you might as well get some uh, ideas for it. And uh, you know, astronauts. Uh, it, it makes me think about how. You know, one of the most unique ways that somebody has performed live is the, you know, this band, The Flaming Lips. They had like everybody get in these giant pods, these like bubbles in the audience. And it's like you're like zipped in. And it's like one of the craziest things you've ever heard of. And if you know anything about that band, they're very unusual. And it's kind of like very on brand for them. And I don't know that I would have wanted to watch a band in a in a bubble. It's just such a cool idea to like think outside the box like that. And uh, I guess that's uh, where we're headed is, uh, you know, like, well, what can we do safely? And uh, as crazy as it seems, let's just try putting in bubbles and astronaut helmets and who knows what's what the next step is, you know? I should get giant hamster balls for my friend. <laughs> yes. That's the conclusion of this. Yeah. For, I'm, but... To, to circle back a couple minutes, if it's friends that you don't want to hang out with, like, oh, yeah, we broke the hamster balls, so I'm so sorry. We can't hang out in the hamster balls. It's not going to work. Well, uh, Izzy Spring, it has been uh, delightful to talk to you, and uh, I've enjoyed all the music that I've listened to preparing and uh, excited to see what's next. For everybody who wants more, uh, the website, izzyspringmusic.com, and uh, – the, it's just Izzy Spring on YouTube, right? I don't want to send people in the wrong place. Well, I will say my Spotify probably has more like available, like nicely recorded music to listen to. So I would encourage people to go there. My TikTok's just a shit show, though. Don't look at that. That's just for I don't think anybody. You're I, I barely use my TikTok, but if yeah, anybody- and. Uh, yeah, I, I I feel like I I aged out of TikTok before it even invent it was even invented. I can't I I, I under what? like I see TikTok when people like cross post it to Instagram. That's like the only time I ever see it. If it ends up like in another place, you know. I'm sorry. What were you gonna say? My mom has more followers than me on TikTok. No, <laughs> oh, no. On TikTok and people like love her and love her content because she's just she's really sassy and like she there's like a whole thing where like someone was leaving hate comments on like something she posted. Oh. Um, it's so bizarre. Um, but she was like, I don't give a rat's ass what you think, and like people were like, <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, so much yeah. cooler than so frustrating. But uh, well, yeah. I'm the old man. Uh, circling back to people who leave nice comments, I'll leave on this one. Sam Whitfield, Christian's Blackcast always makes my day. So you see, that makes up for the the one bad one that uh, I'll see, you know, uh, next week. Uh, and uh, it, Instagram is Fizzy Spring Music. So uh, if that's all the places that people want to keep in touch with you, uh, Izzy, I really enjoy talking to you. Thank you for uh, giving me so much of your time. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know I was asking for 90 minutes of your time, but I appreciate you giving it so freely to myself and to the audience. Uh, We really appreciate it. And uh, we uh, look forward to hearing from you again soon. Thank you so much. And uh, for, and thank you to everybody uh, in the live chat, everybody checking out the archive version. Make sure you like the black cast on Facebook, follow at black cast on Twitter, B L A D T C A S T. And I'm at Christian DMZ. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the Blackcast YouTube channel, you'll get this show and a few others uh, that are uh, shockingly just like it. Thanks so much, and we will see you all next time on the Blackcast. Bye, everyone. Acting like you fit in when you know that you don't. You don't. 
Some girl keeps trying to ask you If you smoke, you smoke, you don't Some guy keeps trying to get